This is the Virgin Radio Pridecast with Alex Milsom and Shivani Dave. Hello and welcome back to the Virgin Radio Pridecast. I'm Alex Milsom. And I'm Shivani Dave. And this is the show where we take a deep dive into the archives of our fabulous pop-up radio station, Virgin Radio Pride, and attempt to continue some of the conversations which we started last summer. Only attempt. <laughs> fabulous. Oh my goodness. Is, is this also like a, a hint that we might be an LGBTQ plus podcast? <laughs> this week, the conversation that we're going to be continuing is one we actually started last week. We're going to be talking all about different identities within the LGBTQ plus community and how they intersect with each other. First, though, how was your week? I love that you ask me that every single week. In the same intonation as well. It's just yeah. a kind of rule. It's, it's actually rule. just copied and pasted from the first ever episode we did. And it's actually in my contract as well. <laughs> you never <laughs> asked that question. We just we just uh, superimpose it. Yeah. My week was okay. Um, a little bit stressful going on holiday soon. So <gasps> Holobobs. Making sure all my favourite t-shirts are washed and they're all packed and realising that it's actually a week until I go away and then unpacking the t-shirt so I can wear them this week and then having to make sure I wash them again. Yeah. Could I please just make it so clear that you've managed to make the prospect of going on holiday sound so boring just about t-shirts? That is a skill. I don't know if I, I don't know anyone else in the world who's been able to do that. <laughs> it's, it's actually quite a process. Not only does my packing regime take a while, but the COVID testing, the COVID passports, yada, yada, yada. It's been quite stressful. I need a holiday because of all of the stress I've had from preparing for my holiday. Preparing the t-shirts by the sounds of it. <laughs> yeah, the most important bit. That's what everyone's going to see in the photos. How's your week been? Very good, thank you. Very, very good. Um, so Very, very good. Very, very good. I'm so excited. Eurovision was sort of just a thing. The last couple of weeks have been very, very exciting to think about Eurovision. And now all of a sudden, Eurovision is an actual, you know, thing that is happening. I I cannot get over that. Sam Ryder is going to do great for us. Sam Ryder is the UK's Eurovision entry. And um, we're going to be talking a lot about culture and I would just like it to be known that I think Eurovision is white culture because I've never watched it growing up. I like never watched it, didn't even know it was a thing. So many years passed by, I didn't even know it was happening when I was younger. And um, I got to become an adult and everyone's like, all my white friends are like, let's have a Eurovision party. Like it's a thing that we should have been doing my whole life. I think you've made a mistake in your assumption of it being white culture. No. It's actually white gay culture. Okay. <laughs> Last week we spoke all about LGBTQ plus communities and one topic which came up was the idea of the outsider perspective which we share. But of course, not everyone in the community has the same outlook and experiences. And someone who spoke about this on Virgin Radio Pride was comedian Stephen K. Amos. Here, have a listen. What is it that binds us together, Stephen? I, I think it's, it's mainly due to the fact that we're all outsiders you've experienced being an outsider you've experienced being the butt of people's jokes you know it's very interesting to hear Annie talking there about being able to hide as a black gay man I can't hide anywhere you know so the notion of trying to hide doesn't really apply to me and that's why I really struggle 
to be honest. Uh, and, and thankfully, we're talking uh, with people who are, are level-headed and you can have an adult conversation with. I struggle with the notion of community as, as a whitewashed mm. blanket term because within this community, there are racists, there are bigots, mm. there are transphobic people, there are anti-women, there is ageism, you know, and that's just a reflection of the wider society. So for us to pretend or, or think because we have a shared experience of being outsiders, that on this ground level, everything's hunky-dory, it's never going to happen. I really like this clip because I think Stephen is entirely right. Uh, and it's not that that's a rare thing to, to find one of the clips. It's just, oh, yep, completely agree with that because we have a lot of great guests on here. But for a clip to actually just you know, stand out and you go, yes, this is entirely true. We have different lives. And assuming that one experience fits all is quite frankly a silly idea. I totally agree. I really think Stephen hits the nail on the head with this one. Like, obviously, there were some shared experiences. There were the coming out experiences and there were the sort of thoughts and processes that you go through internally when you're figuring out your identity. But there are so many experiences within just those things, let alone anything else, that are not shared. Mm. No. So, you know, you mentioned the coming out experience. But for some person's coming out as a traumatic experience is another person's coming out as quite a you know jolly my my coming out experience was in all honesty quite a jolly and there are friends who i know that have had a coming out experience that has been horrific life-changing has resulted in losing their family friends and job and so we've had the same experience we've come out but, but the wider thing is completely different. The actual experience itself in anything but name is entirely different. Yeah, totally. Like assuming that because we are LGBTQ plus people who have faced some sort of difficulty or challenge or maybe oppression in our own lives or as a community as a whole, as a community struggle, it doesn't mean that people from within the LGBTQ plus community all have that shame experience, but it also doesn't mean that they're unable to oppress other people who have different backgrounds and different experiences. And that's kind of where we start to play in the experiences of someone who is a queer person and compare that and contrast that perhaps with somebody who is a queer person of colour, for example. Mm. So that's where I, I find there's this sort of interesting thing where quite a lot of gay white men I know almost don't like it when people mention that and kind of go, oh, but my experience is, is is really bad. And it's like, no one has said that your experience isn't bad, but people almost need to consider it as a sliding scale. And sometimes your bad experience might actually not be as bad as what someone else's experience was. But also I think what we need to understand is that we're not competing in the oppression Olympics. Nobody is saying that my coming out was worse than yours and certainly not saying things like, well, I'm gay and trans versus you're cis gay. Like it's two. Yes, they're two different experiences. Yes, it's all nuanced, but it's not competition. And I think. No, exactly. (laughs) I think there's like an element here as well that does touch on what we were talking about last week about how the image of a gay, lesbian, bisexual, trans or non-binary person should look or what their experiences should look like or sound like. And that's partly been shaped by what we've seen in the media and what we see on social media feeding us this kind of aesthetic 
of what we should look like, what we should sound like, what we should have experienced. And when you're new to exploring some of these things, particularly online, you get this very sanitized look of what your identity is that is also usually quite white usually you know conventionally European attractive conventionally uh, able-bodied slim or fit it's really hard to try and find someone or something that represents your sexuality or your gender identity who is not white who is not able-bodied who is not cis passing or straight passing a lot of the time and and that's really difficult when we're trying to be a part of a community that understands more than just one image, one experience. And I think ultimately our experiences are what makes us, you know, the individuals that we are and um, our individual experiences build up our identities and our individual resiliences and traits and that. But actually the shared experiences that we have collectively that, you know, my neighbors or friends or family might have actually also shape us in some ways more significantly than others. Yeah. I think what was quite interesting there was that Stephen ends the clip with a doubt that equality within the LGBTQ plus community is ever going to happen. That's quite a sad prospect, but there is also progress being made in the area. Let's have a listen to musician Skin from Skunk and Nancy having a chat with Emma Goswell about the political change which she thinks needs to take place. I think we've got to kind of get out of this attitude of like, you know, because I mean, everyone has racism in, in us. You know, we mm. all have different kinds of prejudices and judgmental things. And I think we've got to get away, step away from this kind of thing of like saying I'm not racist because that's kind of impossible on, on many <laughs> fronts. It's, it's a, an impossible thing. It's kind of like, you know, being a fish and saying, you know, I I don't like water. You know, it's like, well, you know, it's you're surrounded by it and it's in everything that you do in ways that you don't like and and ways you didn't even see. Mm. Um, And so I just think that it's I think the thing is, one thing that I've learned is that being it's about accepting everyone as being different to yourself. I think there's two ways that you can step to people. You can step to people in a positive way or a negative way. And I think we just gotta be a much more open and step to people in a kind of positive way and see differences as like not bad and not evil, you know? And I think that what we're seeing now is a kind of, because um, the the conversation about racism has really jumped ahead. It's kind of that thing, it's like like a stalemate for many years. And then it suddenly jumps ahead, it's like a bottle. You know, you you get to that bottleneck and you're there in that bottleneck for 20 years and all of a sudden the court goes and woof, and things move really a much faster and much quicker pace. And some people are like, well, you know, I, you know, I'm just going to continue to believe that everything I've believed instead of just thinking, oh, let's just be open to that and see it as a new way of thinking about it. I feel Mm -hmm. the same way about trans politics, you know, it's like that has been coming for a long time. Um, And it's people are like, oh, it's too fast. It's too fast. It's like, no, people have been waiting for decades for trans politics to be on the table and be talked about and for gender identity to be talked about. and so it's, it, I think that's what's happened in the last couple of years. I think that 
the conversation is being had and in some ways it's a little irritating that there's a lot of black and white about it in terms of like if you don't believe this then you're that if you don't believe that then you're this we're more separated than we've ever been in terms of having political opinions and there's less discussion there's just a bunch of opinions sometimes and you're like can you just like stop seeing things in simplistic ways and work out that most people are sitting in that gray area i'm so happy she said it because so many people are afraid to acknowledge this, but we all have prejudices. We all have our own prejudice and we all have our own journey and challenge to overcome those prejudices, to try and live lives that center equality. Yeah, of course. But at its core, racism and all the other phobias we have in our lives are are learnt. And by that, they could be unlearned. Yeah, I totally agree. I I completely am 100% hearing what you're saying. And I agree. We live in a society that allows us to learn these things from quite a young age. Think about how young you were when the word gay was first thrown about in the playground. And because it's so entrenched inside our social culture, it, it, it does take work to unlearn these things. Of course, of course, but, and I mean, I know I mentioned earlier, our experiences are what make us, but also the differences that we have between each other are what make us unique. You know, if we were all one homogenous group that looked exactly the same, did exactly the same, everything would be really, really blooming boring. So boring. Oh my goodness, being like, oh, what did you have for dinner today? Oh, I had... Everything would just be very beige. Blob. I had blob. And then you yeah. go, oh, I had blob too. What are you having tomorrow, blob? Yeah, no, we need some excitement and variety and diversity to make things richer in enjoyment and culture and in, in everything. Let's talk about the grey area, though, because we are all mainly in the grey area, but it feels like the people are coming out of the grey area because we're in a really hugely politicised, polarised culture war waging world right now yeah and also skin describes this gray area as also being like part of this bottleneck that we're experiencing where there's social media and the mainstream media is all sort of discussing how racism is a big problem and needs to be addressed and it's a time when people have access to all resources to educate themselves on the so-called grey areas that she mentions, but we've seen that people who are in this grey area, as easily as they can access resources to educate themselves and learn, they can also pretty easily access resources that will radicalise them into hatred. And because we're in this bottleneck that Skin's sort of describing, yes, we have the ability to discuss things like racism trans rights whatever it might be but we also have this sort of bottleneck outpouring of opinion of really bigoted views and obviously it's not social media's fault but a lot of it is happening on social media because socials kind of trade on the currency of opinion and engagement and i would argue it propagates that but also follow me on twitter (laughs) catch 22 it's Catch-22. Terrible place, but also I have a blue tick and feel quite cool on it. So um, Stop it with your blue tick. Uh, I'll drop that one in there. However, I 
honestly don't think that some of the people that put their really politicized views on social media actually honestly believe them. I think that they're doing it to solicit that response. You know, they're doing it. There are people I know who, um, you know, back at school, they would believe. And then they've taken this new sort of vocal position they've got on social media where they're saying things, you know, or saying the things that no one's brave enough to say. But they don't actually believe it themselves. They're saying it because they really, really enjoy the attention they're getting. If, if you've got a personal relationship with somebody like that, you've got this situation where you're kind of thinking, do I cut them off or or try to distance myself from that person because they are ultimately doing things that are harming me and my community? Or do you say, well, I know they don't really believe it, but they're still doing something bad. I don't know. It's It's a difficult thing to balance. Of course, it's a very difficult thing. I just wish sometimes we could all be a bit more open to listening to views that we don't agree with. And also that other people who have the views they don't agree with us are also willing to listen to our views. I think there's an interesting point to be made there, though, because, yes, we should all listen to each other's views and try and take on board what the other person's saying. But there is a line to be drawn when that view is racist or transphobic. And we see Okay, we don't have to listen to those ones. Yeah, it's 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 where that line starts to get blurred and it's not so much a thought, belief, opinion, it's more just hateful. But with that in mind, we've just heard from Skin about the sorts of changes which she thinks need to take place in order for us to be more equal. And we've also spoken about some of the different identities which are found within the LGBTQ plus community. But can we draw parallels between the treatment of queer people and members of these other minority identities? And do we ever, as a community, stray into cultural appropriation? I've got some thoughts on that one. We'll have a chat about it right after your Virgin Radio Pride weekly update with Daryl Jackson. Thank you. Hello. First this week... Britain's dropped in its annual ranking of European countries' LGBTQ plus rights, with activists citing the exclusion of transgender people from an upcoming ban on so-called conversion therapy. Britain fell from 10th to 14th place in the Rainbow Europe Index, continuing its slide from the number one spot seven years ago. Barriers to asylum for LGBT plus people were also cited as a factor, with claims the UK is moving backwards. Glasgow's elected its first trans councillor. Elaine Gallagher says her win is incredible but a huge responsibility. She was elected for the Scottish Greens in the Southside Central Ward. I'm hoping that as a person who's in a prominent public office doing the job of looking after people, um, it, 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 it makes it normal for trans people to be accepted as just people as doing their job. Emily Sandey says she was driven to come out publicly by an urge to be bold and honest in everything she does. In April, the Scottish singer revealed she'd fallen in love with a woman after collaborating with the classical pianist on a song. The 35-year-old says it's still a battle for many people around the world. Finally for this week, Eurovision favourites Ukraine are through to the grand final of the competition after a tense semi-final in Turin this week. The country's folk rap group delivered an energetic performance of their song Stefania, despite not being able to meet to rehearse until just six weeks ago. 
Norway, Moldova and the Netherlands were also among the 10 countries voted through to Saturday's showpiece. That's all for this week. Much more next week. Thanks, Daryl. So we've spoken about some of the issues that ethnic minorities can experience from within the LGBTQ plus community and some things that affect both these communities for people of colour and LGBTQ plus people is cultural appropriation. Let's hear again now from TikTok inclusivity educator Benji Cousy. He spoke to Matt Cain about this very issue. We need to really think about the impact we're having on the marginalised community in question when we're talking about these issues. So, you know, in terms of um, queer culture, if, you know, if you, if I, if a straight cis person was to walk around saying, yes, like queen, um, you know, it's, it's, it's cool. It's kind of fun. It's like, yes. Right. But if you are say someone who's part of the community, if you're, if you're someone who's quite visibly queer and you say those same things, you're more likely to prompt discrimination and harassment in public. Right. Yes. Similarly with um, think about black hairstyles. So if you as a white individual are to wear braids and go out in public, it's a fashion choice. It's exciting. Mm. It's interesting. What we've done with your hair, that's really cool. A black, if a black woman wears a hairstyle that's from her culture and that is braids, right? And goes into work, it's unprofessional. It's not conducive for the office. They could actually not get a job because of she's their being, hairstyle. She's being political. A hundred percent. So we need to really be thinking about outside of ourselves and about the impact our choices are having on others. I mean, the best example I can give of cultural appropriation happening inside our community spaces is inside our community spaces. Look at like nightlife venues, nightclubs, queer bars, all of that. Having to have bouncers stand on the outside of the doors to exclude, you know, the hen parties, the big groups of people that have come in from their finance jobs and everything in between trying to appropriate queer spaces. And no one loves to dance to Britney more than gay men and hen parties. And it's a real issue. Like I've experienced this myself. I've tried to go into a gay club and I've been told, oh no, you're a woman. You've got to go to the lesbian club down the road. And I was like, no, I'm non-binary. The bouncers also are not part of the LGBTQ plus community a lot of the time. They come from an agency and he had no idea what I meant by non-binary. It was extremely uncomfortable. And the worst thing was I could see a whole group of hen party people in there just celebrating with the L plates and the banners and the sashes. And I said, how come they're allowed in there? And he basically was like, they had a male friend. And I was like, this is ridiculous. This is supposed to be a space for me. For, for me, my community, for the community that I'm part of. And I'm not even being let into it because somebody else is there first, but they're not part of this community. It's absurd, isn't it? It's absolutely absurd. But it's, it's genuinely probably the best example we can go of uh, a, a sort of degree of cultural appropriation we've witnessed. And we get so mad about lives. it when people take our things, when people take our nightlife, when they appropriate our stuff, when, you know... I remember getting really upset when I saw some friends from school who were always kind of mean to the gay kid at school uh, going to one of the drag race sort of live events. Acting oh, now. yes. Yeah. Like acting like they've always been super inclusive of LGBTQ plus people and identities. Oh, no, wait, they just waited until it got cool. And now they're on board with it. But they were really horrible to the gay kid at school. The one gay out kid at school. That bold, old person that was. Yeah. I mean... I do think about her every day and I'm like, I do hope she's okay. Trailblazer. Really, really was. 
you know, it's it's interesting as well that we're, we're talking about getting so frustrated about the appropriation of queer culture, but inside our community, there are so many examples, you know, people constantly tweet reacting with gifs of people of color and people constantly using phrases that come from you know communities outside of our own there is cultural appropriation of queer people taking other people's cultures as well yeah i mean like if you want to look at the words that benji's highlighted they have roots in aave which is african-american vernacular english which is makes me sound very smart to be able to say that (laughs) phrase It basically means that although those phrases are now commonplace for anyone who's basically watched an episode of Drag Race, they have an etymology that's rooted in a specific racialized and regional queer experience, which is not me saying that like we shouldn't use those words. They shouldn't be part of our language. It's just me saying that it's important to understand the language, to understand what it is exactly that we're saying and why we're saying it. And maybe to consider that if we're saying those phrases because they're cool, maybe we should be looking at the culture that creates these so-called cool phrases and consider why the rest of that culture appears to be underrepresented. Yeah, we we do have a tendency to forget where the roots come from of so many different important things and just effectively whitewashing it. And we heard from Benji there at the start of the clip about how appropriation of LGBTQ plus culture can come from outside the community. But as I mentioned, this appropriation, particularly of the cultures of other minority identities, can also come from within our community, for example, in drag. Who better to hear from about this topic than Asifa Lahore, Britain's first out Muslim drag queen? Have a listen. I mean, look, for example, if I were to pinpoint drag culture as part of our community, you know, words like busted, like slay, like Shantae, you know, people would say, oh, you know, we should be celebrating them. It's part of our community. It's part of our culture. But actually words and uh, the actual culture, the actual drag culture is actually taken from ballroom culture um, uh, and American black culture. Um, So... It's it's very it's a very interesting question because I am very much um, of the ilk that yes uh, you know I use these words use these terminologies but at the same time understand where they come from understand yes. the history behind them and understand um, the oppression that other people other communities faced um, in order for me uh, to use them now or for in order to us to use them now. Okay, so the thing is that so much of queer culture that we see celebrated by white and cisgender people, for example, drag, largely, as we see it as the ma- in the mainstream, comes from black culture. It comes from black drag queens and kings, drag things. That's not to say that other cultures don't have their own forms of drag. There are vibrant historic drag roots in plenty of cultures, India, for example. But I'm talking about the kinds of drag we see on TV with the ballrooms and the idea of having drag runways and competing. And there's appreciation versus appropriation to consider here. I wouldn't suggest that people... I'm doing a lot of not suggesting things to people. I wouldn't suggest that people shouldn't go and watch a white person do drag. And I'm not suggesting that white people shouldn't do drag But I do think that they need to learn a little bit about the art form of drag, what it means, the history and the culture that it comes from. It's true. It's entirely true. Um, There was very recently a big discussion on the dolls, uh, a term that is from 
trans community in um, yeah it, it, in its roots, but then there are gay men that are using that you're know, referring to themselves as the dolls and kind of taking that term without you know credit without even a slight footnote or whatever and it's interesting to see that that's a really recent example that happened as recently as the last week and here it is happening you know on the drag race programs that we watch all the different franchises you know thinking that that was uh, an export of the u.s when actually it was an export of the u.s but after it had been exported from other cultures elsewhere yeah, I mean, like the Harlem drag scene is basically one of the most influential scenes when it comes to what we see in drag today and what what has been used as a starting point largely has come from what we saw in Harlem in the 80s. And it's quite easy to find some education on this. People have written books, people have made movies, Paris is burning is has its problems but is a fantastic movie and a great starting point to understand a little bit about what drag culture and ballroom culture actually is yeah which is an evolution of ballroom culture but without credit yeah and this this culture the the runways and everything that we see on rupaul's drag race today comes from a New York sort of African-American Latino underground LGBTQ plus subculture from New York City and has now spread itself all around the world. You've done your research. I'm learning something new here uh, more than I did before. But it's, it's disappointing to know that that's not been included in any of the footnotes anywhere. I mean, I'd love to have a bit of a history section on RuPaul's Drag Race. Imagine how much people would be able to learn. Things are like what i'm saying here also applies to lots of other things another example of them would be voguing obviously everybody knows the madonna song vogue she popularized it she made it part of our everyday language she even in the music video had people voguing in the background of her video but that was a dance move invented by black and latino queer people some of the people in her video were actually part of the ballroom scene in the 80s and the 90s I think the lesson that we can learn here is that we ought to be a lot more considerate and careful within our community to make sure that we actually have even the slightest of background, you know, that we've learned about the different cultures who've come before us and that we're now basing our culture and our terms and our ideas on, we should have an idea of, of where we've borrowed them from. Yeah, exactly. I think as long as we're sensitive and educated on these topics, the representation and celebration of different cultures and identities can be a really positive thing. And someone who agrees on this is journalist and student Mishti Ali. Here, have a listen. I think particularly one piece that I recently worked on um, was on drag queens who are, you know, platforming their own cultures and incorporating that into their drag and I think it's lovely seeing how you know intersectional people's identities are and you know people I think often unfortunately people will conflate being an immigrant and being part of an immigrant culture with being you know inherently homophobic for example 
And these people are, you know, completely proving that to be untrue. Both parts of that are both parts of their identity are parts that they take pride in and they make them whole and seeing things that even I grew up with um, and seeing that reframed is incredibly moving and I would argue far more powerful than simply rehashing the same stories of oppression. I totally see what Mishti's saying here because I love going to drag nights and seeing queens and kings and non-gender drag artists celebrating their culture and there's one artist that you need to check out who I've been absolutely loving recently called Paul Bollywood because... (laughs) Brilliant name. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Love it. Brilliant name. Love them. Centres their South Asian identity in their drag and uses their drag as an opportunity to educate the audience and celebrate their heritage. And also, hopefully, by the sounds of Paul Bollywood, provide cakes too. Not always cake for the audience, but always hilarious. Always hilarious. Always really funny always informative and educational it's the kind of drag artist who just puts a smile on your face that's good that's uh, what that, you want that is what you want you want art to to make you feel something and you know if you can feel something by enjoying another person's culture as they see it you know it's not it's not us portraying what we see in their other cultures you know because quite a lot of the time that can be incredibly insultive and diminishing and and sort of almost ridiculed their culture, but rather a celebration of their identity as they see it for us to see it as they've interpreted it. Yeah, exactly. Also, like, I've just wanted to say basically this whole episode that British culture has always been built on what they've taken from other cultures. A lot of the time, appropriation from other cultures, like the national dish is a curry. Everyone's favourite drink is a cup of tea. One of the biggest music genres, rap or loads of music genres that are enjoyed here in the UK, soul, jazz, blues, these are all things taken from other cultures. They've been co-opted, they've been whitewashed. And as we are in this world that is increasingly connected and supplying us with information faster than we can consume it, we've got the ability to learn from these cultures and appreciate them rather than to continue to capitalise off them. And... With that, that's just about all we've got time for this week, at the very least, on the Pridecast. But fear not, because with summer and Pride events just around the corner, next week we are going to be chatting all about Pride and how it's evolving. Before then, though, if you'd like to get in touch, you can email us on pridecast at virginradio.co.uk. Or you can tweet us at Virgin Radio UK, remembering to use hashtag Virgin Radio Pridecast. See you next week. Bye. Bye.